Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Major Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. Just excited to get back on the Hockey Pediocast because it's been a while. It feels like it's been forever since hockey, but I guess it hasn't been that long. But I don't know. It feels like it's been a year. I think it actually has been about a year. It's been a while. We, um, it's good to have you back on, though. And uh, I feel like we do our best work here in the preseason before the games actually start and prove everything we're saying to be horribly wrong. So. Um, hopefully we'll be able to continue that trend here and have some fun with it. I thought the plan for today's show, uh, a good one for us would be to, um, go back and forth and get into our favorite breakout candidates for this coming season. And, uh, I gave you some homework. I gave you a list to do, and I think it should be fun. I think like, you know, the most recent, uh, home run breakthrough, uh, that everyone I think had on their list certainly wasn't alone. And it was Kevin Fiala who completely just went off down the stretch last year and, and and thank goodness that he did because I don't know if I could have gone another year with having him on my breakout list so it's good to uh, get him off create some space for some new names and some new faces and so we're going to get through it um I think here's a good starting point for us what are we looking for when we're identifying or earmarking candidates that kind of fit the bill of of a breakthrough candidate like is there a particular type of either statistical resume or player type that you're you're kind of keying in on or that you seem to gravitate towards when you're when you're kind of thinking about this concept well i think like for me usually i look for offensive breakouts right because that's what's going to catch people's eyes anyway like if you say somebody's going to have a defensive breakout season they could have one and nobody will notice so it won't even be that uh that big of a deal and uh you won't get the credit after you know you want to you want to be right like when i said that yarmer yager was one of the top wingers in the game still at 48 years old or whatever but uh, yeah, I, I'm looking usually at younger end of the spectrum. Um, uh, I, I look at uh, who maybe did the right things, but uh, didn't get rewarded for it in the previous season. Sometimes, you know, like a rookie season that didn't work out the way that they wanted. And sometimes you got to just go out of left field and just bet on talent. Right. And I feel like Fiala, like the first year or so that he was on there, we were like, okay, this is, he's doing the right things. Just not getting rewarded for it. And then like the longer it went on that he didn't actually have his breakout. I was like, okay, his game's kind of deteriorating a little bit, but I still believe in the talent. And then he got traded and he was like, okay, I got this. Yeah, definitely. I think certainly like circumstance and environment and just getting the opportunity can, can go a long way. Um, yeah. What I'm looking for is some combination of a history of success at lower levels. So whether, um, you know, especially if it was at the AHL, I think when you're talking about NCAA or major junior, um, that can be very misleading, especially if it's an overage player. But obviously, if you've seen them do it at other levels, it can give you more confidence that they actually have the skill level to get it done. Um, I would also say, you know, uh, 
encouraging results in, in limited AHL actions, uh, NHL actions. So it's usually on like a permanent basis if their per 60 stats are looking really good and you're thinking, okay, if this player gets in his coach's good graces, steps up in the lineup and starts playing with better players, this could really take off. And a repeatable, translatable skill set. So I just kind of, that's, I guess, the eye test, right? Just seeing if a player just checks out if their skating is really good or if they do a certain thing well, if they shoot well, if they, you know, any number of things. But I think kind of using those as a good checklist has generally led to pretty good results. I, I've I've been doing this for the past four or five years in terms of kind of getting like five or six names out there. And, um, you know, we've had some hits for sure, whether it was like Victor Arvidsson a couple of years ago or Oliver Bjorkstrand, mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Marsh. So some of the kind of obvious candidates, I'm still I'm still waiting for Charles Houdon and Marco Dano uh, all these years later. Uh, those are a couple of the misses, but, you know, um, you're never going to have 100% success rate. But I think it's just a, a good sort of uh, entry point conversation for us to talk about some players that might be slightly less heralded or, or, or you know, when I pitched to you on this concept. And um, I, I really left the definition of it very loose because it, it is kind of subjective and I didn't want to make it too restrictive. So I think, you know, generally I'm looking at players that maybe their underlying numbers are really good, but, you know, they haven't necessarily crushed it in terms of the boxcar stats. And we know that, you know, point totals are usually something that more casual fans are um, equating to being a good player. And so if a guy doesn't have a ridiculous through the roof goal or point totals, maybe they're not getting the national attention that they actually deserve and so that's kind of a a good way to to look at it and frame it here so as the guest i'm going to open the floor to you here uh who's the first player that you want to talk about on your list okay see i've got some players that i think we'll probably both pick and i'm going to save one in my pocket because i think there's probably very little chance that you have them on there so i'm going to save that one that's going to be my surprise at the end unless you pick it and then i'll be super upset (laughs) but uh Okay, so my first guy is going to be Jack Hughes, which is, you know, not exactly a hot take. Um, I think he got a lot of criticism last year. He obviously had a very terrible offensive season. But, you know, when I was able to work with SportLogic data, which I can't anymore, but uh, when I was able to, looking at his season last year, like almost everywhere that you want to see a young player succeed, he was doing the right thing. You know, his underlying numbers were solid and, you know, not star quality solid but very good. And I think that New Jersey was just such a tire fire last year. He had nothing really to work with on the wings. Like uh, at the beginning of the season, I think he was with Wayne Simmons and Simmons had a really good start to the year and then faded over time, which is, you know, par for the course with a player, his age with his injury history. But I I just think Jack Hughes has so much to give. And you look at what his brother was able to do in Vancouver. And I, I don't think Jack is going to be as good as Quinn Hughes. Like, I I don't know if it was just different draft year strength levels or what, but maybe Jack got like the benefit of being the second brother drafted where he got went higher, like what usually happens. But uh, I think he's a really good player. I think he could be a number one center for that team. But uh, last year, just nothing went right for him. I think he had one of the worst on-ice shooting percentages in the entire league, and he was among the lowest by uh, Evolving Wilds numbers for uh, – actual goals to expected goals uh what what he actually should have got despite uh, or compared to what he did get so he's my number one pick as breakout candidate of the year yeah he wasn't on my list although it's a very good choice i feel like i've talked about him a bunch on the show this offseason um the devils shot five percent or so with him on the ice at five on five and 7.7 overall um you know his own shooting percentage was also similarly um really suppressed and yeah he created a ton of chances especially um you know when the game opened up whether it was on the power player or or when he had some space in the neutral zone you saw the talent that got made him the first overall pick um i think yeah having better players to play with and they do have some interesting wing talent now on that team is a plus um he spent the past 10 months getting a lot stronger and adding a bunch of muscle and so i'm sure that'll help as well and yeah, I think it's it's only possible to go up from here, right? He had uh, seven goals last year or something like that. I think uh, yeah, at only 21 five, points. Yeah, at five on five, they got outscored 33-17 with him. And part of that was that on ice shooting percentage. But um, yeah, just a better environment. Also him just taking time to develop, which isn't a surprise. We, we knew that that was probably going to be the case heading into the year and, and into his rookie season. And 
and that's perfectly fine. I think we've been spoiled by young players coming into the league as teenagers and right out of the gate thriving, and it's okay to take some time to develop and not necessarily be uh, you, the best version of yourself right out of the gate. So I think uh, I think that's a good pick. I think certainly uh, a very dynamic player and just thinking about potentially down the road um, them having Alexander Holtz's shot, who they just drafted high in this past draft, next to him as a playmaker seems really appealing, but for the time being, whether it's Kyle Palmieri or Nikita Gusev or Andreas Janssen or Jesper Brad or whoever they put on his wings, he'll have some skill to play with. And and with Lindy Ruff as his coach, I think he's going to get the opportunity to keep trying to do stuff with the puck and make mistakes, even if it leads to defensive breakdowns going the other way. So I think just from a sort of uh, creativity perspective and, and building off of it and just trying to get better out there at the NHL level, I think he's in a, in a good position to succeed heading into the season. Yeah, and I think not to compare them at all, because I don't think they're anywhere close to the same player, but you talked about like young players coming to the league and not always finding immediate success, and it was a different era as well, but like people forget that Joe Thornton had seven points in his first season, you know, in his second season, even like it was a breakout, but he only had 41. It wasn't until his third year where he was really, you know, like a top line player. So some of these guys that get drafted first overall, even it takes some time. And uh, then, of course, there's. Patrick Steffen. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't want to completely hand wave the uh, shooting percentages because like at some point you part of it is luck, obviously, as we know, and I think he's going to regress to something higher, but certainly um, needs to work on his shot and we'll see it and has time to do so. And it seems like a very identifiable skill that he can work on. So I'm not I'm not worried about that. But I do think just when you watch him, like it's very clear that he can he can hang in the NHL in terms of the skill and the speed necessary in the game in 2021. And he didn't look like kind of like a fish out of water when when you watched him play. It was more so when the game kind of bogged down a little bit when in the offensive zone, when defensemen were able to to kind of lean on him a bit more when the game became a more of a kind of uh, slow it down pace. But that's to be expected. And, and I think getting stronger and getting older and getting into his 20s is, is going to help sort of rectify a lot of that. So I'm not particularly worried if we if we'd watch them and it was clear that, you know, he had just been dominating at lower levels and then he wasn't fast enough to compete here or do what he was doing before. It couldn't get to his spots. Then I'd be much more alarmed than than I am based on what he put on tape last year. Yeah, for sure. And And like you said, the shooting percentage, obviously, if you're a bad shooter, that will bear out over time. Like, I don't know how many seasons it takes for you to be like a little bit highly like questioning whether it's bad luck or bad shooting. But usually for me, I give it like three mm-hmm. or yeah, so. The, the, if it's like happening in the third season in a row, I'd be like, okay, this is probably something. Yeah. And especially if it's a teenager, right? You give a little bit more of a, you know, it could just be like, they're not very strong compared to the, the adults playing the game. It's funny, you know, as you get older, when when you're that age, you're like, I'm an adult when you're 18, but now you're like, no, they're just children. Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, okay, that was a good first one to get us going. I will, um, I'll give you one. It, he kind of did start to break out towards the end of last year, but I think he fits the bill of, I think there's another gear to hit, especially in terms of sort of recognition and in terms of uh, the indicators that people generally latch onto. And it is Andrew Mangiapani for me. Mm, um, I like the, it. Ob- the other bread man. Um, I think, uh, you know, he had to pay his due and wait for a long time because he's undersized. Uh, he was passed up in his draft year. He was a sixth rounder in his, in his, uh, draft plus one year. He, all he's done is produce everywhere he's played. He had 210 points in his final 127 games in the OHL. Um, he had 104 points in 120 AHL games after that. He didn't really become a full-time NHLer until I think like around 23, 24 years old. Um, but last year we saw he basically forced their hand into bumping him into the top six full-time as the year got along. And he was playing alongside Backlund and Kachuk. And in 355 on five minutes together, they had just sparkling underlying metrics. I think they controlled like 60% of the high danger chance, uh, chances, uh, 54, 55% shot share. and so. I just think that it can only kind of go up from here because whether he plays with those two or as we've seen in the preseason where they've been playing him with Goodrow and Monaghan, um, he's going to stick in that top six. And I think that uh, 
just everything he does is going to lead to to future success. And uh, whether um, you know he counts as a breakout candidate because he already kind of started to break out towards in the last year, I just think there's another level for him to hit, and that's why I had him on this list. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the opportunity for him is just going to be so much larger, right? Like the way that Calgary has kind of restructured their forwards a little bit. Uh, obviously, they're trying to spread their center depth a little bit uh, to give uh, some more depth. Uh, have a third line that actually functions instead of just kind of like trying to hold the fort with their bottom two lines. And Manjapane is probably going to get a lot more power play time, uh, which is going to help a lot. I know a lot of people are really high on Dylan Dubé there as well, but I would be surprised if uh, he was able to like come in and supersede what Manjapane has already shown. Well, the thing with Manjapane and kind of like the motor he plays with whether it was fitting in with backline and kachuk and their ability to kind of just grind teams and especially kind of they were looking for that third wheel with them after years of michael frolik shooting like seven percent uh which is a good sort of uh bringing it back to what we were just talking about with hughes after like four or five straight years of michael frolik wildly underperforming his expected goals and shooting percentage it was like okay this is probably just the player that he is um so he yeah. was able to kind of convert on more of those opportunities but even if he's playing with Goodrum Monahan, like I think. Um, his ability to just kind of be a menace and, and retrieve the puck more and maybe create some more uh, ozone touches and opportunities with possession for them could help get them going. Because I think if they're kind of viewing how they can unlock this team, like it's clear that they, they need those two to be more productive than they were last year where, where they were outscored when they were on the ice together at 5-on-5. Five five, and that was, that was kind of an expect- un- unacceptable considering their stature and how they're important are to the team. And so, I don't know, like I think with Manjipane, like he had... 15 points in his final 18 games last year and was basically playing on Calgary's top line. And for the year at 5 on 5, he had one fewer point than Goodrow and he had four more points in Monaghan. So, like, you could argue that he already did break out if you're looking at certain metrics. But I think as a total package, just because he started the year playing like 12, 13 minutes a night, I think it's flying a bit off the radar in terms of how good he was. And I think it was, you know, the Flames this year had an interesting decision to make with him where. In the offseason, he was an RFA and they decided to go with a two-year bridge for him. And and he was the type of player that I would have liked to see them lock up long term because he's that ideal candidate for like good underlying metrics, will perform much more uh favorably offensively in these top six minutes moving forward, regardless of who he's playing with. And so I think the price tag for him is only gonna go up from here. So I think they're gonna wind up regretting that when they have to pay him more two years from now. But um, you know, that's a good good position for, for Manjipani to be in kind of betting on himself because I think uh, you know, it's a much it's a it's an upward trajectory for him moving from from this point on. Yep, fully agree. He's a really good player. I'm excited to see what he can do with more minutes. It's uh it's always fun to see a guy who just like works their way up and never really gives up. It seems to often be the smaller guys, right? That yes. just they have to work harder than every other guy to get there. But uh, he's earned his spot, and uh, I, I whether he sticks with Gaudreau and Monahan, or the uh, they reunite them for the to make the new three M line. I think that's uh, two really good spots for him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, who's next on your list? On my list, the next one is uh, going to do the hometown thing and do Nick Suzuki. And I, I've seen a few people talk about how like Nick Suzuki might have a sophomore slump this year, and I'm not really seeing it because. You look at where he produced last year, and most of it was actually on the power play until late in the year. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have that great of a season at 5-on-5. Five five. His defensive numbers were there. They were really good, but offensively, he didn't create a lot. He was not able to get it going for the full season. He had a really big uh, step down in the middle of the season as well, where he was kind of getting his minutes dropped a little bit as well. So I, I look at him, what he was able to do in the playoffs, how he's diversified his game the way he attacks the game with creativity and the fact that he's now going to likely have a ton of power play time because putting him on the power play in the playoffs for the canadians made them have a functioning power play like it was that big of a deal he's going to have penalty killing time because once again they put him there and he was fantastic so he's going to be a, a dual special teams player so the even strength minutes will probably not be as heavy for him uh, as you would expect for like in a normal season, just because he's going to have special teams like crazy. So I expect him to, even if he struggles at even strength for it, not to be as big of a noticeable factor because he's going to be playing so much power play time. And, 
I, I just really expect him to figure out the offense. You, you look at what he did in the playoffs as well, and he it's a short sample size, of course, but the the mechanics were there. He was figuring out how to create against good teams, and down the stretch in the regular season, he was just everything's pointing to the right direction for this kid. And I, I think he's just so smooth and everything happens in his brain, right? He's got hockey skill for sure, but he's just such a cerebral player. Uh, I really like the way that he plays the game. And I think he's bound for a ton of responsibility. His coach loves him. And the fact that he already brings some pretty excellent defensive acumen to the game means that he's going to play all situations. He won't get benched very often. His coach, like I said, Absolutely loves this kid. So big opportunity for him. Yeah. On my list, I expected you to have him as well. So I was going to give you that one. Uh, super trendy pick considering his play in the bubble. But I don't think that necessarily means that it's it's wrong to expect that. Um, True. In that if you look at the playoffs, seven points in those 10 games had that clutch game winning goal in game five against the Flyers accounted for all of their offense in the elimination game in game six. Um, in terms of his coach loving him, only... Brendan Gallagher played more than him at 515 per game, and only Dano played more than him overall for all uh, Habs forwards in the bubble. Um, so that certainly, if you have Claude Julien's uh, you know, trust, that's going to go a long way. I think if you look at what they did this offseason, they added a bunch of talent on the wing. So whether it is Toffoli or Josh Anderson or even Jonathan Drouin, who was obviously there last year, um, he's going to be playing with good players who can play up in pace with him and you know last year he did have a lot of minutes with like you know Lekkonen and Cousins and Nate Thompson and and I think it's just a step up in terms of the talent he's going to be armed with and um it's interesting that you mentioned that you know his best work was was on the power play because that's like such an an anti-Habs player in a way right where it's like all their players seem to just destroy at five on five especially in terms of the possession metrics but their point totals especially for that top line I guess um, are suppressed and kind of make people think that they don't have the high end skill because they're just not scoring on the power play at all. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the performance indicators were there for him. Uh, similarly, another guy who I think he had a 6.4% on ice shooting percentage of five on five, that's going to, uh, go up. And so playing with better players, playing a ton, um, I think the sky's the limit for him and, and he will, you know, he's going to unlock that, this Habs team in a way, right? We kind of know what we're going to expect from that top line with Gallagher, Tatar, and, and Dano. And if Suzuki can really step up and make that a one-two punch with a second line and get the most out of all the wingers that they added, um, then I think it's really going to alleviate a lot of the concerns about this team in terms of we all know they're deep, we all know they're going to be really tough to play against, but do they have the high-end skill to match some of the other teams in North Division? I think they do, and I think Suzuki taking that next step and breaking through is going to all but kind of ensure that that's the case. Yeah, and that was the one of the things that I wanted to mention, but kind of forgot was the addition of the 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 wingers that they brought in. Right, is they've got they always had depth, but they had a lot of good guys who were like good two way players that couldn't really finish. And neither Toffoli or Anderson are like sniper level finishers, but they're both above average ish finishers. Toffoli sometimes is below, but like just a hair below. Uh, kind of like the same thing as uh, Brennan Gallagher in terms of finishing ability. So that gives a lot of extra opportunity to to put some goals on the board. And, you know, like I really like Arturi Lekkinen as a player. <laughs> I think he's great. But in terms of finishing, it just ain't happening. You know, Armia has these like streaks where he'll score like five goals in four games and then go 30 with one. So they, they needed some guys who could put the puck in the net. And I think they did actually address that for once in the offseason. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much that translates for the young centers because I think they do have quite the little core there of like nobody who's going to break the doors down like a, an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid, but uh, all through the like each line, I like the guys that they have on there. Yep, yeah, ton of depth, uh, very few wasted minutes. So yes, um, yeah, but but Suzuki taking that next step in terms of just the skill level um, is going to go a long way. All right, next on my list. Matt Grizzlick. Ooh, I like um, it. So many minutes out of the door on the blue line for the Bruins <laughs> this year. And I think, importantly, high leverage ones too, right? I think Krug was playing nearly four minutes per game on the power play for them on the top unit. Uh, Chara was playing 
like north of three minutes per game on the penalty kill as their top penalty killer. I'm not saying Grizzly is going to step in and do either of those, but it just shows that there is going to be more um, high leverage usage to go around. And I think they made it pretty clear that they similarly believe in him too, where you know they committed four years, nearly 15 million to him this offseason. And I think it was a really good litmus test for who's paying attention because you look at it and it's like, okay, 15, 18, 21 points in his three years in the league. Uh, 1908 per game was his ice time high in 2019. I think a lot of people were like, why would they commit so much to this guy who kind of profiles as a third pairing defenseman? But I think they're really keying on him this year to take that next leap because they didn't address um, any of those names that left. They're kind of hoping that some of their young defensemen they've drafted the past couple of years will be able to step in. But I think Grizzly, they're identifying as a guy who can step up and whether it is playing with McAvoy on a, on a supercharged top pairing or playing with Brendan Carlo in a more defensive um, assignment, he's going to be playing some big minutes with those guys. And I just, I just think the skill level there and, and the opportunity is there to match it now as well. And, and that's kind of checks a lot of the boxes that I'm looking for for putting people on this list. Yeah, he has the potential to put up some serious points this year. Like, without Krug there, I mean, obviously I don't believe anybody on that blue line can match Krug offensively, but there's a lot of minutes, like you said, on that power play that they're probably going to put a defenseman on. Maybe the Bruins will go with a 5-4 power play. <laughs> you never know. They've got some forward depth to spare. But, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, even Charlie McAvoy, right? Like, he's a phenomenal defensive defenseman who hasn't put up crazy defensive or offensive numbers so far this in his career fourth year he could be a guy who all of a sudden gets a ton of power play time and goes from two power play points last year to like 15 and how does that change how much like how people look at him right he's kind of like an analytics name but not necessarily a household name Certainly. And I think, you know, Grizzly was fantastic during that uh, 19 playoff run for them. And, and I, I was tracking the uh, neutral zone stuff for them at the time. And, and he was a, a rock star in that regard in both defending the blue line and also breaking it out. I think if you just watch him, he's got tremendous poise with the puck. And, and I think he actually would be um, a good option for them on the power play because he's one of those defensemen that doesn't shoot the puck just for the sake of shooting it. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's very poised and patient with it. And I think when you have people like Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak out there, you probably want more of the opportunities to go towards them as opposed to just bombing away from the point like Brent Burns. And so um, that'll be interesting to see I, I, in terms of the five one five usage. I'm very curious to see what they do because I think, I feel like traditionally Boston has really preferred to mix and match stylistically with their pairings in terms of like having a smoother skating undersized defenseman paired with a more plodding bigger defenseman that can kind of compensate for for what they're lacking physically and so um in that case it would seem like they would probably prefer to play him with carlo but in the limited time grizzly and mcavoy have played together they've uh you know expectedly been tremendous together so i'm really curious yes. to see um what they look like but it, it will be a step up not that he was necessarily sheltered as a more of a third pairing uh, defenseman by usage in the past but uh, just in terms of the volume and sort of the, the expectations and the pressure of what he's going to be asked to do on this team it you never know how a player will respond to that but just in terms of like all the all the checkpoints that he's needed to hit along the way so far in his career he's hit them so i'm really curious to see if he's able to make the most of the opportunity that's clearly there for him this season yeah i'm i'm excited to see that too because like you said this is a situation where the player's already done so, like he's put up the good work already, but the the opportunity has now come knocking, and it's it's one of those situations where you recognize employees with Custom Ink, show customer appreciation with Custom Ink, outfit your teams with Custom Ink, easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at CustomInc.com. Make Custom Ink your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Wonder uh, the, whether the defenseman is a very good third-pairing guy and can't handle more than that, or they're just waiting for that opportunity. You know, like, is he, is he a Mark Barbario, or 
what's an opportunity? What's an example of a guy who was third pairing for a while and then broke out? I'm trying to think now. I'd say Nate Schmidt. Yeah, Nate Schmidt. That's a good one. Yeah. So and, Mark and Barberi case, or Nate the, Schmidt. The skill, the the skill set in terms of just the fluidity and, and the ability to play a, a skill game, I think, is there for Grizzlick. So I'm confident that uh, he will be able to take that leap, but certainly shouldn't just take it for granted. Um, all right, before we get into the next name on your list, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsor, and then we're going to finish up uh, finish up our breakouts. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or... If you always wanted to host a podcast but never knew where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms where you typically get your podcasts. And the best part is, you'll get all of this for only $15 a month. That's essentially the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup without all those perks. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into this program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this podcast to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. All right, Andrew, uh, let's keep going. What, uh, who's All next right. on your list? This is going to sound a little bit like cheating because everybody knows this player and he's already had two good seasons under his belt. But I think there's a whole new level of finishing coming from this guy, and that's oh, Brady you Kachuk. Son of a gun! You stole... Was that yours that you had? <laughs> uh, I had to yeah. say I had the exact same preamble too, kind of the disclaimer about why he, it was kind of cheating to put him on this list. But oh, I had him as number one oh. on mine. I thought I could sneak him by because you wouldn't have him, and you just swiped him right from under <laughs> my nose. Right at the end there. That's a yeah. So yeah, he is just such a monster at the net front. The number of high danger scoring chances this guy puts up is ludicrous. And for the first time in his career, I think he actually has a decent playmaker on his line now in Dadnov. And I think that like Dadnov is not a guy who's necessarily a game breaker, but at the very least, he's a very competent offensive guy. I think he's going to help with their power play. I think he's going to help get. Kachuk the puck in the right spots where there's a little bit of pre-shot movement now instead of him just trying to hunt for point shots to tap in in front. I am very excited to see what he can do when he is the guy and all the goal scoring is going to be funneled through him on that team. And, you know, as much as uh, he's not necessarily a, a big time threat at even strength right now, and I'm very in doubt of where his career is going. I think adding a guy like Alex Galchenyuk to their power play as well also gives a second shooting option if he plays in the same unit that could buy Kachuk a little bit of extra space in front too. So I see a lot of goals in this guy's future, and I, I'm pretty sure like last year I predicted that he was going to score 30. So I'm going back to the well here and uh, doing the Kevin Fiala dance, but I think this year Brady Kachuk could score 30 or more, maybe 35. Uh, yeah, well, maybe not prorated for the 56. Uh, yes, yes, games. prorated for the 56. That's what yes. I mean, yes. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, keep on forgetting that it's not an 82. I mean, in his first two seasons, what, he had 22 goals and 21 goals, uh, 45 yeah. points, 44 points. Um, so, Which is great for a teenager, really. I guess is. he wasn't a teenager last year but it is and and i think you know he went fourth overall he came in with a ton of pressure considering they chose to keep the pick and select them and then give up give away the unprotected uh pick in the following draft they wound up being born by him so there was a ton of pressure in that regard already just heading into the league on him and um so i i think it is fair to have him on this list because he sort of fits the idea of a guy who underlying metrics have been amazing passes the eye test hasn't had the kind of superficial uh, scoring stats to match it. And I'm perfectly okay sort of planting my flag here and being all in on that coming, whether it is this coming year or sometime down the line, because there's so much to like here. Um, at 5-1-5, only Brennan Gallagher generated high danger chances more frequently than he did. Uh, only Gallagher, Pacioretty, McKinnon, and Ovechkin attempted more shots per minute than he did. Uh, so he's got the quality and the quantity there. Um, the underlying numbers are are remarkable for him in terms of how he was able to keep the Senators afloat when he was on the ice, especially considering how bad the team was when he wasn't out there and sort of the difference he could make in terms of those impacts. And so 
playing with Dadanov now, I'm still really curious to see who his center of the future is going to be. And I think that's going to be a big question mark for them to figure out. But, you know, I've been talking about this on the podcast recently. Like, this is his ELC is coming up after this season. And barring some sort of a crazy breakout where he scores, let's say, 30, 30 goals and not even prorated, like, let's say he just, the shooting percentage uh, climbs incredibly and he starts converting on those opportunities and, and banks a ton of goals. Unless that happens, I would be perfectly content if I were advising him to take a bridge on his next deal because I think that once he gets into his early to mid-20s, uh, his offensive production is going to skyrocket, especially as the talent yeah. around him gets better. And his asking price or his market value is going to be significantly higher than what he can probably uh, leverage right now. And so unless the Senators are viewing it as like, okay, we already paid Thomas Shabbat. Everyone thinks we're incredibly cheap and can't keep our players. We need to make a a sort of statement here by just throwing a ton of money at Brady Kachuk just to ensure everyone that we actually are going to spend money and he's going to be here long term. Barring that, um, I would certainly play the long game here if I were him and just wait because the goals and the points are coming for him. Yeah, you, you, like looking at it from each side, it's one of those situations where like usually teams want to lowball the young guys, but if you're the Senators and say that Kachuk doesn't break out this year and he still scores at like say like a 25 goal pace instead, well, I guess. Both of his 22-21 goal seasons were in a 71-game season. So say that he scores almost the exact same pace, but the shooting numbers are the same, or like get even better. Like last year, they got slightly better. You want to lock that guy up for eight years, right? Like you want to get every last bit of savings you can while you can, because it's going to happen. You look at his shot, it's not he doesn't have a bad shot. He's going to score at the very least as like a 10-11% guy during his prime. And if his shooting numbers stay so rock solid, like uh, looking at evolving hockey's numbers, he actually was their number one guy last year in individual expected goals with 34.2. That was above Ovechkin, above Sebastian Ajo. He was like, that's 13 more than he actually scored. And it was only in a 71 game season. So that's pretty dang incredible. I, I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe he doesn't have the overall uh, game as uh, some of the like better players who've been taken that high in the draft. That might come later in life, or you know, he's a winger, so it's not as big of a deal. But uh, in terms of goal scoring, this kid's going to be a star. Yeah, he shot eight point one percent last year, nine point one for his career. I, I find it hard to believe that that is his true talent level. Um, yeah. especially given the quality and where he's getting the looks from. I think only according to natural stature, only Brent Burns generated more rebounds than him last year. Like he's just living around the net and he's going to have a spike season one of these years and that'll probably become the new norm for him. So, um, you know, another thing to consider is like, just think about it. So in his rookie year, his most common lineman is Mark Stone, which is obviously a great position for him to be in. They trade Mark Stone at the deadline. Then last yep. year, he's playing full-time with J.G. Pajot, who's having a great year. They trade J.G. Pajot. Uh, there's been a lot of sort of, uh, you know, inconsistency there in terms of, like, just getting his his best line mates taken away from him. He spent a ton of time the past two seasons playing with either Cody Cece or Nikita Zaitsev, and that's not good for anyone's numbers. And so I just think as the Sens team adds talent that they've drafted and they've been, that have been kind of uh, stockpiling, as the pieces around him get better, um, he's going. His numbers are going to start looking much better. So um, I'm mad at you for stealing uh, <laughs> one of my favorite picks here, but uh, I'm glad we could uh, we could agree on it. We could talk it out. Um, all right, I'll give you my next one, Rasmus Dahlin. Oh, that was one of mine. So the issue for me here is that I don't really have too much of a, a statistical case to make like some of the names we've talked about already it was like very clear to identify this is much more of a he's clearly wildly talented he was the first overall pick for a reason he's still super young he still hasn't even turned 21 years old i just feel like he probably spent the entire fall watching people just shower kale mccarr quinn hughes and meryl heiskin in with praise and talk about how great they are and how they're the future of the league um he's just basically went 10 months now between games um, sounds like similar to the Jack Hughes. There's been stories coming out about how much muscle he added and how much stronger he got and how much he was preparing for um, being a workhorse defenseman for this team. I'll need to see it to believe it because 
for whatever reason, Ralph Kruger still keeps playing Rasmus Ristolainen an incredible amount of ice time. And so, you know, last year, Dahlin was their fifth most frequently used defenseman at 5-on-5. He was playing like two full minutes per game less than the Ristolainen-Montour pairing. Uh, And so I just, I need to see it in terms of Ralph Kruger actually playing his best players the right amount and sort of figuring out what everyone's true talent is and, and acting accordingly. But this is just a bet on the actual talent of Dalian because it's pretty clear when you watch him that despite his uh, his down season relative to his rookie year, it's not like he suddenly forgot how to play hockey. So I think if he gets used more, um, there's a lot to like here in terms of him kind of bouncing back and, and joining that tier of young defensemen that's viewed as uh, sort of the the next generation of uh, NHL superstars at the position. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit surprised at like how much the Buffalo Sabres changed over the offseason. And I, I just, I really wonder if there's potential here for this team to be really good or at least much better. Or if they got, if they made these additions at like the wrong time. Cause like I remember when I looked at it for, uh, for Sportsnet, Eric Stahl, there, there are some warning signs from last year, right? Like it does kind of look like he started to fall off the cliff. But at the same time, Eric Stahl at center is better than anybody but Jack Eichel that they've had in a few years, right? And then they brought in Taylor Hall as well. And, like, Taylor Hall can actually skate with Eichel, like, speed-wise. He can make plays off the rush with Eichel. That's pretty incredible. So, like, they've got these two big-time assets, at least name value, that they added, but two guys who had really kind of down years last year. I know Taylor Hall had some decent underlying numbers, but overall nothing close to what he put up the year prior. Uh, So it's like that extra depth should help them a lot. And it's depth at the top of the lineup. And then you've still got Jeff Skinner, who is in one of the years where you expect him to have like the 40 goal season, because he seems to alternate between doing nothing and scoring on every shot. Uh, So like, there's lots of opportunity there for a guy like Darlene to just facilitate everything. Right. And, He's played with Montour in camp, so you expect him to get more minutes this year. He has so much talent. It, it would just be crazy to me if he didn't if he didn't break out this year. But I can also see like if they added these guys at the wrong time. If Skinner has another uh, poor year, if Tage Thompson doesn't put it together like they think he's going to, that this season is just like another Buffalo season where they just spin their wheels, you know, and nothing really happens. I can see this team being so boomer bust. Yeah, it's a tough division. I will say, um, man, that, the Ristolainen and Monter pairing was hilarious last year because the team ha- was a, had a net positive uh, goal differential with them on the ice, and I think it kind of emboldened them to be like, oh, like these, these, this is actually a good thing. Then you look at it and... They had a 950 save percentage and a shot 13.8 as a team with them on the ice. It's like, oh, well, that this seems very, very legit. Um, yes, this makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you would think that uh, it's an interesting fit, right? Because Eichel, his best attribute is his puck carrying. Hall yep. at his best, I'd say similarly, although he is a more versatile player than people give him credit for in terms of kind of being a a grinder and going and retrieving the puck and just kind of being tough to play against. Um, and Darlene as well. You'd think that part of what makes him special is his ability to skate with the puck and have these rushes. And so it's like, yeah, they can certainly, I think, would be benefited to just play fast and play in a much more uh, track meet system to take advantage of the skills of those guys and yeah, increase the number of possessions and, and kind of take advantage of their ability to play with pace. But also, all three players are probably best suited with having the puck on their stick and getting it from point A to point B. So I'm really curious to see how that works. But, you know, it's not necessarily an issue. It's just kind of a uh, an interesting thing to consider when looking at their individual skill sets. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you wonder, like, is this a situation where because you have so many outlets, teams, like, really have trouble containing them? Or is it a situation where, like, because... You know, like Eichel always wants the puck on his stick. Part of Hall's effectiveness is neutralized. And like the other parts of his game still contribute, but he's not peak Taylor Hall kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see because this is one of those teams where 
there's so many questions around it for me, and I fully believe that I, that Dalian will break out this year. But there's just so much potential for everything not working out that I'm really interested to see how it shakes out. Yep, me as well. Um, all right, who's next on your list? All right, my next list is I'm going to choose my one that uh, that I don't think you had on your list, and that okay. is the LA Kings Austin Wagner. <laughs> I did not I know. Have People are like, "Who? Awesome. Give me, give me your Austin Wagner spiel." Okay, so Austin Wagner, believe it or not, is this unknown guy who played for the LA Kings last year because nobody watched the LA Kings last year, and he is one of the NHL's leaders in per minute high danger scoring chances. He was by Sport Logic data. He was by Evolving Hockey data. He is just incredible in front of the net. Uh, he has. A lot of opportunity this year to move up the lineup, I believe. He's not a great all-tools player, but offensively, if he can get some power play time, I think he's got a real situation that he can take advantage of. And I think that specifically, guys like Martin Furk and Jeff Carter, who's often injured, and Andreas Anathanasiu and Adrian Kempe, they're all you know players who are currently ahead of him on the depth chart but all have uh, reasons why they might get knocked down. Uh, for, I'm not sure why he's on the second line in camp right now. I, he just hasn't proved anything to me so far. But uh, I, I think Kempe has just not really uh, figured out his offensive game yet. This could be his breakout as well, but uh, he needs some work there. And uh, Jeff Carter, kind of on the decline now. Uh, offense is fading away a little bit. Injuries have really hurt him. And then you've got guys like like their wings are just not great. They've got Iofalo and Kempe is a great two-way player. But like Dustin Brown, is he really going to stay on the top line all season again? They need goal scoring so badly in LA. And they've got a kid who just like fires pucks on net like nobody's business. And I think he gets an opportunity higher up in the lineup this year. I don't, how, don't know how many goals he's going to score, but I I believe this kid can score a lot of goals. I like it. That's the type of niche analysis that the PDO cast uh, prides yes. itself on and delivers to the fans. Here's a guy you've never heard of. I like it. I like it. Going from Brady Kachuk to Austin Wagner. Um, insanely fast. I feel like just turn on Kings, like every other night, you just see him just randomly create a breakaway out of, out of nothing. It's interesting that they added, like it was worthwhile because it was such a low risk move, but they added Andreas Athanasiu. And I'm like, just curious to see uh both those guys just just flying around uh very similar in terms of their never speed. entering the defensive zone no and, and they don't need to because they're not planning on winning a lot of games this year but i will say this is true um you know i, I think the future is very bright for the kings they have the best prospect pipeline in the league and uh they're going to be adding a ton of talent into the lineup in the coming years it feels like this is probably one more year of kind of just bridging the gap and waiting it out and uh and so yeah the opportunity is certainly there and you know especially as the year went along last year todd mcclellan um had them playing good hockey and not not necessarily just in terms of uh winning games but in terms of you just looked at at the statistical resume in terms of their underlying numbers and the fact that they for a bad team were in a lot of games and kind of holding their own they just didn't really have a lot of actual talent to convert those opportunities and so um just in terms of like the the sort of structure they've got there and the fact that they're probably going to be put in a position to just use their strengths and, and use that speed i think uh Austin Wagner is a good call in terms of a guy who could uh who could just randomly score like 15 to 20 goals in this well probably not 20 goals in, in 56 games but uh so just have a big scoring spike if he starts converting on a lot of these opportunities and people will be going like where the hell did this come from and then we'll go like well you should have listened to the Breakouts podcast and the PDO cast because that's where it came from. Exactly. That's where all the best information is. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Um, not nearly as off the radar. Oh, I'm going, these are the left field picks right here. Uh, no, I'm, I don't really have any, any super, super left field picks. I think mine are, are actually pretty uh, traditional in terms of names that you'd expect. But I'll give you a, an oldie but a goodie. How about that? Okay. Um, UC Soros. Mm. Had to have a goalie on this list. It's tricky because I think even in uh, a normal year, projecting future goalie performance is 
very hit or miss. Um, you know, young goalies typically don't get a ton of looks. And certainly UC Saros has learned that the hard way over the past couple of years. Um, and in this year's condensed schedule, I think it'll be tougher for a goalie to truly break out just because you, you have to wonder how much they're actually going to play in terms of a workload. And so um, we'll see on that. But, you know, we've been waiting for him to take the keys over from Pekka Rene uh, and be the number one for the Predators for, it seems like, ever now since I started this podcast. He, it happened last year. He started 18 of their final 23 games, including all of the four of their playoff games. And he was pretty much the main reason why they they got there into the bubble in the first place, because in that time, he had a 940 save percentage and three shutouts, and he was ridiculous. And so he enters this year now. He's 25. He's an RFA after this year. Pekka Rene will presumably retire. But they also did just spend the 11th overall pick on Yaroslav Askarov. They've got Connor Ingram in the system, who had ridiculous numbers in the AHL last year. And so his window to um, be the number one here and the wiggle room he has might not be as as um, as wide as you would have thought when he became a trendy breakout pick like three years ago. So this is a big year in terms of leveraging into being the number one for them for at least the next couple of years. And I think he's got the skill to do it. I mean, all he's done wherever he's played is put up good numbers. He's never had a season in the NHL with a negative goal save above expected. And so I think given the opportunity, he's going to do just fine as, as his team's number one. Yeah, there wasn't a guy who I felt worse for in the playoffs last year than uh, than UC Saros because he had such a great regular season. He's just like slowly built up this resume where he finally takes over for an iconic goaltender in Nashville and Pecorine. And you know, like it's a difficult decision for them to make that call because Renee is so uh, beloved there, and he's he's a leader in the dressing room still. And Renee's off year last year was pretty much entirely due to uh, the penalty kill. He was just awful killing penalties uh, for whatever reason. Specifically, uh, right in front of the net, his inner slot save percentage was uh, second worst in the league after Jack Campbell. And it was it was something ludicrous, like 50 percent, like it was just garbage. And it was this group of like 30 shots, I think, that just tanked his save percentage from like above average to garbage. <laughs> and so it was I think for anybody who would be within that organization, they probably know that. So they knew that Rene wasn't necessarily struggling so much as this so- small sample size single issue was hindering him. So going with Saros was likely a tough decision going into the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, or I guess the play-in round, it didn't go so well for Saros. And I just felt really awful for for the guy to finally get this opportunity and then post an 895 in four games while his team gets eliminated while they're playing decently well. It was uh, it was rough to watch. But I, I'm with you. I think that he has the... I mean, at 25, you don't want to say potential anymore, I guess, but... He's got that potential to be a starting goaltender in this league. He was a 1A last year, and he'll probably be, well, probably be 1A again this year because of the condensed schedule, but the year after, he'll be one with a bullet, right? I think that's the writings on the wall there. Yeah, it's interesting because I think people typically think that young players take this very stepwise trajectory in terms of getting slightly better and getting more usage like each year progressively, and it's not always the case. But for him, his games played by year in the league, 19, 23, 27, 34. And that's hilarious how they've been like steadily spoon feeding him slightly more and more. And, and we'll see how much he plays with the 56 games, but I imagine it will be um, more than half of them. And he's got a 918 save percentage for his career in the league. Like he is an above average goalie. And I'm really curious to see what he does with opportunity. So um, I wanted to include a goalie on this list. And it's really tough to find uh, young goalies that you believe are going to get an actual chance to break out and so he's kind of right on that borderline of he still hasn't fully kind of become that guy but i feel like he's still uh young enough where he could qualify so um i wanted to include him do you have uh any others you want to contribute to this list in terms not not goalie just anyone anyone else on the breakout i I have one that has no statistical backing whatsoever but i just believe it'll happen eventually and that's uh in new york who was for my money, like a bottom five player in the league last year, which I think shocked pretty much everyone. But you look at his resume coming into the league. I mean, th- this is a really good player. And 
I don't know what it was, if it was just an uncomfortable situation in New York where he's, you know, moving to a, a foreign country for the first time. And, you know, there's a lot of adjustments to be made, but I think this year he's going to get more opportunity to sit in that top six. Uh, New York should be a lot better adding Alexi Lafreniere. You know, I, I don't think Mika Zabinajad will shoot nearly as well this year. So there might be some more power play time to be had. Maybe he won't be like bogarting all that. Some more of the offensive time. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I just, this kid is so talented. It would be shocking to me if he was that bad ever again. Yeah, he won't be as bad. He was, you don't want to say catastrophically bad because he was a teenage rookie. And so it's going to get better. Try not to judge too harshly. No, I'm not. When you say that, I I think people can kind of read into it as, oh, you just think he sucks and he's never going to get better. And we're clearly saying that's not the case. I I think, um, I think there were fewer positive indicators than there were for Jack Hughes, for example, in terms of him looking like he belonged. But you'd think that the, uh, the, the, the skill set will win out. I actually had, uh, as an honorable mention on mine, his teammate, Philip Heedle, who, um, you know, I assume based on, Logic will play with Lafreniere out of the gate, it seems like. Like, they're going to have kind of like three scoring lines. And um, so I think he's an interesting guy because he's, I think, 21. This is going to be year three for him. He had 13 five on five goals in like about 700 minutes or so last year, which was a really good rate. And he spent a bunch of time playing with Kako, who was really bad. Uh, and then like Brett Howden and Philip DiGiuseppe and stuff. So um, you know, I think playing with Lafreniere and maybe an improved Kako um, is going to be an interesting spot for Hedl, and I think they they need him to break out because if you look at this team that has a lot of interesting and uh, highly dynamic pieces, one of their weaknesses is down the middle, where beyond Zabinajad, it's like, okay, is Ryan Strom really going to be your number two center of the future? I think they're hoping that that will be Philip Hedl one day, and so. Um, this is a great opportunity for him to to take take a step up and and break through the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, has anybody ever been as blessed as Ryan Strom to go from the Edmonton Oilers to having Artemi Panarin on your wing? Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty nice situation. Um, okay, I I have one more big one that I wanted to hit here, and similar to Kachuk, it is a bit cheating because it's uh he's got a, a high pedigree, but I think also maybe. Uh, more casual fans aren't really following the KHL super closely. Um, but right. I think I think Kirill Kaprizov is going to have a monster rookie season in the league. Um, under six foot, could see why he was a, a fifth round pick, I believe, by the Wild. But man, the past couple of years, actually pretty much ever since he got into the KHL, all of his uh, numbers are right in lockstep with all of the players we've seen take time to marinate at the KHL level and then come over and immediately step into the NHL lineup and succeed, whether it was Evgeny Kuznetsov or Artemi Panarin or, um, you know, Radulov, Tarasenko, you name it. He's right there with all those guys and even exceeding them in terms of performance and just watching him and watching some of his tape, like it's incredible how strong he is on the puck and how quick his release is. And so I think. Um, you know, he's going to be fly under the radar a little bit because he's going to the Minnesota Wild, but the combination of him and Kevin Fiala is going to make them must-watch, in my opinion, this season, and we haven't been able to say that about the Wild since probably Marion Gabrick was there. So I was going to say um, Gabrick. <laughs> it's, uh, I just, it is a little bit cheating because I think he's like a very trendy pick to win the Calder, and we don't have any NHL data to go off with him, and it is always a bit of a projection to just assume that someone is going to come over from a different league and thrive right away, but there's no real reason to believe he won't be incredibly good offensively right out of the gate. And so I wanted to highlight him as, as someone to just be excited about. Yeah. I mean, it's bold of you to assume that anybody on the Minnesota wild will put up any offense, but uh, if anybody's going to, it's going to be him and Fiala, right? Like I'm looking at their forward group right now and there's a lot of defense. That's the best thing I can say about them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very clear why the, the wild didn't go very far in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, they, they they can really do well at one end of the ice. Well, now with uh, Kaprizov and, and Fiala, they'll be able to do well on the other end too. So uh, something to watch for. I've got a couple other names, and I'll let you pick which one we talk about. I okay. I couldn't 
differentiate between Dennis Guryanov and Rupe Hintz. I put them together as one. Or Devon Taves. Ooh, those are both really good. The only other one that I had on my list was uh, Tyson Yost. Yeah, yeah, he's interesting. I wanted to have someone on the Avs on this list because I think they're just going to have a breakthrough as a team. <laughs> like they're going to put up a lot of points and ton of offense and win a lot of games. And so I wanted to include someone here, but most of their players have already broken through or established. So like yes. I, I thought putting Burakovsky would be cheating because he scored a lot last year. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that I think last year one. counts as a breakthrough, especially when you realize how, how few games were actually played. Yeah, yeah, he had 45 points in 58 games. That is a that is a breakthrough in my opinion. Um, yeah. All right, so would you rather do Taves or uh, or the Stars guys? Uh, let's do Taves because I know, like the Stars guys, I feel like everybody's talking about them, especially right? Like, after their after their playoffs, right? Especially for Guriana, yeah. say, Considering the magnitude of the goals he scored, like an overtime winner to get yes. them into the Stanley Cup final, I think people are aware of of Guriano. So yeah, let's do Taves. All right, let's do Taves because I know less about Taves, so I'll let you take the lead. Okay, well, so I don't even know what the equivalent would be of going from the aisle system to this Colorado Avalanche team, but for a player who can skate and move the puck and would presumably thrive in a more up-tempo system, um, it's like just adding a jetpack to him. Uh, they have stolen from the Islanders, just get couldn't afford him, and then they paid him four years, 4.1 per. So they clearly value him. I assume they're going to feed Ian Cole and uh, Ryan Graves a lot of defensive zone starts and more uh, defensively oriented usage because it seems like they have paired up Kale McCarr and Devon Taves as kind of just all-out attack defense pair. And so I, I just, I don't know, like it just if you look at the way that the Avalanche used McCarr last year, like he was out there for about half or even more than half of his five on five minutes with McKinnon. And mm-hmm. if you're telling me that Devon Taves is going to be out there with those guys for that amount of time, uh, you know, generally a good formula for success in this league is being on the ice as often as possible with great players. And, you know, we can talk about Devon Taves, own individual skill set, And I think Dom had him in like the 75th percentile or so in pretty much every underlying metric. And so he certainly, um, you know, had a really good resume of his own the past couple of years with the Islanders, but I just feel like taking him and putting him into this supercharged offensive unit in Colorado is just going to um, completely exceed anything he's done to this point, and he's going to become much more of a sort of household name just based on, on the production he's going to have as a result. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for going from the Islanders to the Avalanche, like you said, and it's like, you know, you're used to driving a very reliable pickup truck and then you get a Lamborghini. Yeah. You know, like it's just, it's going to be such a change. I think the pace of games will be, I mean, I'm sure he's capable of, of making that adjustment and probably already has just by practicing with them. But the the change in how the games are played is going to be crazy. I, I do wonder if maybe without the way that the Isles played defensively, he gets a little bit exploited on the defensive defensive end, but there isn't really any sign that he's particularly uh, awful defensively in any way, shape, or form. I think he's a pretty good uh, all-around player. I, I'm just shocked at what the Colorado Avalanche were able to like acquire him for. <laughs> like It just seems like... I know that the Islanders were up against it and trying to save for the Barzal extension, but at the same time, he was arguably their best defenseman last year by the end of the year um maybe Pollock was better but overall i don't know teams don't normally give up their second best defenseman for almost nothing you know yeah certainly most dynamic i mean and he was playing his most common partner last year was scott mayfield um so i think that's going to be a massive step up playing with mccarr and, and i don't think yeah. he'll get exposed that much defensively just because if they're on the attack and in the offensive zone the entire time i think he'll be just fine especially if they strategically just use that mccarr taves pairing to just crush um and, and and just look at what happened last year like i think mccarr's most common uh partner was ryan graves and obviously he had insanely inflated percentages but uh, led the league in plus minus, got a nice contract, has like randomly is listed on the Norris odds for this season. So just in terms of uh, what uh, 
being in that role can do for uh, your kind of mainstream uh, notoriety or attention level. Um, I'm just kind of using that as an example of of what could happen to Taves just if he's in that role full time. And I think his skill set is gonna is gonna mesh really well with the way this Avalanche team wants to play. And and clearly they identified him very smart organization in front office and and you know they identified him as as a person they could target for a reason. And I think uh, they're gonna use him correctly. Yeah, it, it's going to be super interesting. I, I think that there's very little about the Colorado Avalanche that concerns me. Like maybe, maybe goaltending, but even then, I think Grubauer is solid. And uh, I mean, after Grubauer, I'm not uh, too confident in everything they have there, just based on what happened in the playoffs. But uh, man, this team is just so deep. Everywhere you look, they've got good players and good players who are not just offensive stars either. I mean, this team is obviously going to be a kill you with offense style team, but it's hard to score against them too. You know, and Makar gets a lot of credit for his offensive skill. And, you know, obviously he's a young rookie, so he's not going to be a great, amazing shutdown player, but he gets back into plays too. Uh, He's, his speed is such an asset and yeah. And we haven't even talked about Sam Gerrard and Eric Johnson, who are pretty decent pair in and of themselves. I mean, I think Johnson is, only okay as a middle pairing guy at this stage but uh with gerard that's pretty excellent yeah and bowen byram on the way as well um yeah, yes some, no kidding good players um i had some other young defensemen on this list like i think people are probably tuning in and being like oh they're gonna talk about vince dunn and start i assure you i had him he already just, broke out <laughs> he already broke well he broke out and i'm also not entirely sure that they're gonna use him any differently it seems like yeah they view him to be the type of player that he is and I disagree with that, but I there's no real reason to believe that he's going to get a massive step up in usage this year. Um, you know, like Noah Dobson would be interesting, kind of filling in for Devon Taves we just talked about. Um, but we'll see in that in that system and if Trotz trusts him. Um, yeah, so there, there's some young defensemen certainly, but uh, it's just always tricky to project them. And um, you know, a common theme here is opportunity is is a big deal, and uh, so yes, got to be confident in that. Um, all right, I think that's going to be it for today's show we got through is there any other names that uh that you wanted to touch on or that you had on your list at the bottom not that i had written down so i think we're good to close up shop all right um we'll plug some stuff where can people check you out what are you working on these days give us all that before we get out of here all right well for right now i am just at the montreal gazette i'll be writing there covering the montreal Canadiens for the rest of the season which was uh, just confirmed this weekend that I'm signed on. You're on the uh, uh, full-time Nick Suzuki beat. Yeah. Well, not so much full-time, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm on there and I've got some other irons in the fire. So I guess just watch my Twitter feed at Andrew Berkshire and I'll probably have some announcements soon. Cool. All right, man. Well, I'm glad we were able to get you back on the show. I'm glad we did this and we'll see how these Me guys too, man. Out. It was always fun. Cool. All right. Well, uh, and, uh, the start of the season. Maybe uh, we'll have to figure out a way to do some, uh, some more stuff this year. Awesome. Have a good one, man. and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.